Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is Trevor Maxwell. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. This guest I have today is a very special guest. Um, So for his introduction, you might just want to grab some popcorn. I don't know, just like find a a comfortable chair, sit back, relax, because this is going to take a while. All right. My guest today is a former professional soccer player. He is winner of the world's most famous reality show, Survivor. He is a humanitarian, philanthropist, author, inventor, investor, advocate for cannabis and psychedelics with a special interest in helping cancer patients and survivors. He's co-founder of the global nonprofit Grassroots Soccer. Oh, and he's a two-time survivor of CD20 positive Hodgkin's lymphoma who has been through the gauntlet of chemo, radiation, two stem cell transplants. Ethan's on. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. Wow, that was a spectacular introduction. Uh, so much that I actually have nothing left to say. So that's it. We're done. So Ethan, did I miss anything there? Do you want to add on? <laughs> uh, there's really not much I could add on. I guess uh, I love cats. Maybe you forgot about that. I'm a cat guy. So, well, let's start with that. Like, so <laughs> most people pick a lane. And, and they stay there a little bit. Like, let's start with this list. So you have yeah. it like at least a dozen lanes in your lifetime. And how old are you now? I just turned 50, if you can yeah. believe it. Okay. So half a century and you've packed all this in. Like, I guess I'm wondering to start off if you have always been like that, just mm-hmm. like throwing into all these different passions or if that has come more late in your life. I, I'm a, my life is a side hustle and it's always been that way. Uh, my first side hustle was in fifth grade and my dad, we had one of the first VCRs in town. So not only that, but my dad got an illegal like cable switch button. (laughs) So I'd be like recording like R rated movies on HBO and I put it on my VCR (laughs) and then I'd be renting out VHS tapes to my friends in grade school (laughs) for like, you know, like $2 for a week. And that was kind of like my first side. Where hustle. Were, then, so where were you when I was in grade school, buddy? That's what I want to know. Why was I not in your school? And then I started selling candy along with the, the VHS tapes. And I just had this whole little business going. So ever since then, I feel like I've been an entrepreneur. I I love, um, you know, I love marketing. I love advertising. Uh, I love influencing people to try to inspire them to act. Um, so I guess it just started early on in life. All right. So, so you've always been like this. That's good to know. I guess I've always uh, been like this. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. And, and so I will say, uh, this is a timely interview with you because the new season of survivor season number 437, uh, right. wait, no, no, it's actually 46, uh, starts tomorrow. You've been on three times. 
I think, right? Um, Correct. And you were the winner of season three back in 2001. And Africa, we all remember Africa, those of us who are Survivor fans. Africa was brutal. Like, they don't even put contestants through anywhere near what you went through in season three anymore. Like, they're at the same place. Everything. It feels like they're kind of pampered. Like, do you look back or do you look at the show now and think back on what you went through and just like, this is not even the same show? Of course. You know, I am now the older guy. Um, you know, just like when I talk to my grandparents, like we used to walk to school both ways uphill in the snow. And I'm like, that's kind of the way I was like, we actually had to go search for water and we had to walk to tribal council. Oh, yeah. And there was no clues and idols and advantages and disadvantages. Uh, we actually had reward challenges and immunity challenges meant something. Right. So like, I'm that guy. I'm the old curmudgeon oh, yeah. survivor player. That's me. <laughs> What was the toughest? What was the toughest about Africa? Was it just the environment in general? Well, to be up for me personally, you know, everyone has their skill sets when going into the game of Survivor. Mine was like, obviously, I like to suffer, right? Um, I'm Jewish. I'm a cancer survivor. Like suffering is in my blood. So when I went out there, the the environment was exciting for me. That that was something I look forward to. And I'd previously just um, been living in Zimbabwe playing professional soccer there. So the environment was nothing. It wasn't a culture shock to me at all. Okay. For me, the difficult part of the game was the lying and the backstabbing and the kind of that, you know, the challenges were great. You know, living in the environment was great. Pushing my body to the limit, mind, body, spirit was awesome. But for me, it was the the moral dilemmas between creating a real relationship with something and then stabbing them in the back to get a million bucks. That's where the game was difficult for me. Well, and, and I f- now that you say that, it really makes me think like culturally, like how d- 2000, 2001, how different it is from today. Because today, I feel like lying backstabbing like all that nasty stuff is just like so part of the fabric of the culture it's like you're supposed to do that now but you're supposed to do that yeah but when but back when you were on it and that show came out it was like you're gonna have to do some things that you wouldn't do in real life um like you know lie to one another and do all the stuff so it was like the mores have kind of changed um so you were uncomfortable with that like you're a good guy with that because i was kind of just you know, I had every intention of being an evil, backstabby, slimy little pig to get ahead in the game. But when I got out there, it just wasn't who I was. And it was it's very difficult to keep up the the facade of someone you're not when you yeah. take away food and water and you're tired, you're hungry and you're separated from friends and family. It's just really hard to do that. Like it's 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 difficult to act for 39 days. Um even though the game's 26 days now, but that's a whole nother story. Oh but yeah. yeah. The, Curmudgeon, the yeah, old right? guy is coming back. Curmudgeon, the old guy. Yeah. Yeah. 26 yeah. day game. Anyone can do that. Uh, but you know, but, but that, but the, the game isn't better or worse. It's just different. And yeah. now like that, you know, being an honest player without lying and stealing, that doesn't fly. You have to lie. You have to steal. You have to do whatever you do to get ahead in the game. And that's just part of it. And the people coming into the game, the 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 mindset is completely different. They know they're there to play a game. They know they're all going to kind of be friends after. But while they're actually playing this game, they're competitors. They're but back in the day, I think there was the the lines were blurred a little bit more between friendship and honor and integrity and backstabbing and winning and losing and money. It just was all blended. But now people know this is a game. I'm going to play a game. No hard feelings. When it's over, we'll have a beer whatever yeah that's really that's really interesting too because i'm i'm 47 so we're of the same 
you know, generation. So we, you know, for me, it was like, that was really the first reality show I had ever watched. And, and I, it was really so, kind of set the tone for everything afterwards, but, and we stuck with it. So now I watch it with my kids. Like it's, yeah, it's just this generational great. thing. Um, but let's get into how we know one another, because I think anyone listening to me, um, you know, this is the 80th episode. And wow. when we hopped on, it was like, people might think we've known each other forever. Cause we have had a couple conversations. We get along great. We both have gone through some pretty tough hardships with cancer and that bonds us right away. But we also have gotten to know each other through a, a mutual organization. So the Dempsey center, that's where Incredible. I, I yeah. yeah, I first, uh, you know, Chrissy at the Dempsey center was like, Hey, I really got to introduce you to Ethan. He's doing some work with us. And I've been working with the Dempsey center for quite a while. Um, so, Let's jump into that. Like, when did sure. you? When did they come on your radar, and and how have you been working with the Dempsey Center? And before you do, just to let everyone know what it is. So, the Dempsey Center, founded by actor and humanitarian Patrick Dempsey here in his home state of Maine, it it is a center um, has a couple locations, and it provides all of the holistic resources uh, that a person could and a family going through cancer needs. So, everything from um, nutrition, um, exercise classes, um, therapy, individual counseling, group counseling. Uh, what am I missing? Exercise, Reiki massage, like all the stuff that is beyond just getting like your chemotherapy or your surgeries. Um, they have there and it, it really, it's, it's to support the whole person and the whole family going through the cancer. So yeah. that, and, and we're just so grateful to have them here. It's an amazing model. So anyways, back to the question. Yeah. I mean, that when you just said they treat the whole person, that is kind of where the brilliance of the Dempsey Center, not to mention it's for free. You forgot to mention that. Yeah. It's right, for free, free. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, that's like <laughs> the big game changer right there because cancer is expensive. Surviving cancer is even more expensive. And so a lot of people don't have the funds to be able to do some of these, what you want to want to call alternative therapies, but they're not right. Right. Um, so like what the Dempsey center, I mean, to be honest, I'm going back to high school again, the Demp, well, Patrick Dempsey has been on my radar since high school or junior high school. Let me tell you why. <laughs> There's a movie for all you youngins out there called Can't Buy Me Love. It's probably the best movie in the history of movies. Um, and Patrick Dempsey was the star. He was a little nerdy kid in high school and he's just trying to get the hot chick. And so he made a he bartered a deal with her. And he's like, I will pay to I will pay to clean your dress if you go on a date with me. And so they started going on dates. And anyway, so it was this transformation. But anyway, his name was Ronald Miller. And if you can believe it, I looked identical to Ronald Miller. I had curly hair. I had glasses. I had braces. I was nerdy in high school. So all my friends would call me Ronald Miller. <laughs> and that was my nickname in high school. That's Honestly, awesome. Like you can ask all my friends. And so when I got to meet Patrick Dempsey for the first time, it was literally, it, it was one of the better days of my life. Yeah. Um, and I told him that story and he was like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I bet everyone tells him that story. Everyone was the Ronald Miller, but, uh, anyway, that was, so anyway, I learned about Patrick Dem. I've been following him yep. for his whole life. And obviously when, um, you know, I, I saw the news about his mom and then he started the Dempsey center. And so I was in since, since the beginning, I haven't, hadn't necessarily been a part of it, but definitely been aware of what he's doing. Yeah, and just shout out to Patrick, the the Dempsey family, um, and and all the folks at the Dempsey Center. So Kara, Chrissy, the whole staff. Yeah, um, they and just they have a great race work. every fall. 
Yep. It's a Dempsey challenge and yes. it's a bike run race and it's a big festival up in uh, Lewiston, Maine. And it's awesome. So I went last year, I'll be going this year. So if anyone out there is listening, let's meet up. Let's ride. Yeah. So Ethan and I will both be there. Let's definitely do that. Um, but the interesting, so back to the thing about, I just want to quickly touch about this yeah, for those please. who are listening. When you are diagnosed with cancer um, and you're going through all the shit, you know, when a doctor tells you to do something, you'll die. You pretty much do it. It's easy. There's no choices there, right? Take this, do that, sleep then, go here, radiation, chemo, whatever. But it's a really uncontrollable feeling, hugely uncontrollable. There's this bug inside your body trying to kill you, and you are just trying to find any way possible to stop it. And so for me, that uncontrollable feeling was a little bit overwhelming. So to find strategies to be able to gain the control back over your body, mind, and spirit is huge for any cancer survivor and even caregivers and even cancer patient, cancer survivor, caregivers. So where I'm going with this is when you have access to the Reiki and the nutrition and the exercise and the sleep strategies and the peer-to-peer cancer support, like me and you talking to each other, shrinks. Um, that is little mini incremental ways to gain the control back over your body, mind, and spirit. And that is so important. So when an organization like the Dempsey Center provides this for free, I mean, you should jump at it. Like when I was at Sloan Kettering in, in New York City, they offered yep. some of this stuff, not for free. My insurance covered some of it. My insurance didn't cover others. And But I did everything. I did visualization boards. I went to Bali. I did mantras. I changed my diet. I exercised. I saw a shrink, support groups, everything that the Dempsey has to offer. I was doing that on my own. Um, this is 2009 to 2013. And it was just, it was a game changer for me in my life. And uh, I highly encourage anyone, patient, survivor, or caregiver to get involved with some of this extra stuff that your hospital, your cancer center may be offering. And if you don't call the Dempsey Center and they may know someone for you. Beautiful. I got nothing to add to that. Goosebumps all over, man. Absolutely. So let's jump into your diagnosis. Uh, 2009, you were, so you were around 35? I was, yeah, exactly. 35. you do 50, math too. You're incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the, that is, that is the top of my math, um, you know, <laughs> capacity that right. we've reached it right there. Yeah. Um, 15 years later, what are some of the sharpest moments from that time that, that stick with you? Like when you think about, um, you know, how memory changes over the years yeah. and there's some, there's some moments that are there. Some are kind of gone. Some have changed. Like w- what really resonates with you today when you think back on diagnosis? When I think back on diagnosis, you know, is uh, for me, actually for me, it was the relapse. So like I, I got okay, diagnosed, yep. I went through cancer, I went through chemo, I went through radiation. They saw some signs of the cancer was still there. I did more of it. And then I went into my stem cell transplant. I came out of the stem cell transplant. Doctors thought they got the disease and under control, but it returned 20 months later. <sighs> so when the cancer returned, that was for me was deflating exponentially more difficult than the first time yes because the first time around it's going to sound so weird but like it's a new diagnosis you know you have this like warrior mentality you're going to fight it you're going to beat it you're going to stay positive all your friends and family they're all up in your shit they're supporting you all the doctors are loving you so it's like you are just in this freaking tidal wave of momentum and you just don't have time to think about anything it's the silent moments it's the quiet moments that when you're by yourself when you're in your own head when the cancer comes back, that's when things for me got difficult. So that was huge for me. The other part of it 
and and that's why I was looking for strategies to kind of get out of my own head, right? Um, and the other part of it was, um, I remember being on a incredible amount of synthetic drugs prescribed to me by the doctors that gets back to the, when a doctor tells you to do something, you do it. They were giving me all these pills. So I was taking five, six, seven, 10, 12 pills a day just to get to bed at night. You know, uh, anxiety, pain, sleep, nausea, appetite stimulant. There are pills for all of this stuff. Yeah, and I was yeah. taking all of them. And then I'd rip an Adderall in the morning just to have energy to go get more blood tests. And so I was on this cyclical cycle of synthetic um, drugs that just wasn't making me feel good. I wasn't nice to be around. I just wasn't serving me as I felt they should. And so that for me was when I made the switch to look into kind of more alternative ways or plant-based medicines and cannabis became a big part of my life at that yeah. moment. And that's kind of um, a, a big moment for me too. Yeah, absolutely. And we are definitely going to circle on cannabis for sure. Yeah. Cause we, we both uh, share a lot of our thoughts on that. Um, but man, it must've been, <clears throat> it must've been crazy for people around you being like, you know, pro, you know, soccer player, you know, Ethan, Mr. Like kind of life of the party guy. Now he's, a, he's a dick. Like Ethan has turned into a dick and he's just being a jerk to everybody. Yeah, yeah. I totally was being a dick. Um, yeah, I, dick, I call it dick days, being a dick day. Because um, sometimes you just need, like it can't be positive all the time. This toxic positivity is part of it. You know, uh, everyone's telling you, you got to stay positive, fight hard. You're a warrior. You're a survivor. That's it's bullshit at times. Bullshit. Like I would be crying and, and depressed and throwing up for days on end. It's not, that's not so, in uh, like, because I had been on TV and like you said, the, the media built this up to be a survivor and this strong guy, right, right, right. It, it creates this narrative that I felt I had to live up to, which was difficult at times. You know, you go on a TV interview or a podcast, well, there were podcasts back then, but yeah. a radio interview and you're just kind of just saying what you feel you should say. And it wasn't authentic. It wasn't real. And it wasn't until I started telling my real story that I started to click with people who were listening to me. And I felt like I felt, OK, well, maybe the details of my life do have the ability to help someone else out there, because if I was just sitting around saying, yes, like I'm going to fight hard, I'm going to stay positive, I'm going to survive this. It's bullshit. You're hitting uh, on something so core to my being. Um, one of the reasons Man Up to Cancer exists is that toxic positivity, because when I was looking around for role models, all you see in the media is is guys, you know, the narrative they want, which is struggle comes along guy overcomes it like a superhero like you know running 10ks and and working full-time and all this stuff being a superhero and i was like that is not like i'm on my couch like crying for days on end <laughs> yes. like i'm a failure and i'm ashamed and it's not the reality of going through cancer so the fact that you you saw that firsthand because the media is coming at you for this story that's packaged up right mm -hmm. like Ethan is the survivor and now he's going to survive cancer and we're going to celebrate that. Or it not. doesn't capture the full, right? It doesn't capture the full story. So kudos to you for breaking through that. Yeah. And, and, and when I say this statement, it's not because I just at the time, this is 2000 and um, 2009. Like I was a little survivor had just happened, you know? So I was a little bit more popular. I have never been more quote unquote famous in my life than when I let people know I was had cancer to the point where there was photographers just like waiting outside my apartment to get that shot of me bald because I had this big curly hair, bald and a yep. walker with a mask and glove. So like, it's a little testament on 
society as a whole where like they either wanted the success story, the hero, where I had cancer and I survived, or the opposite, where I didn't make it. It was one or the other. There, there, there is it, the the general perception of cancer in this world is there's winners and there's losers. You win against cancer and you stay alive. You lose the cancer and you die. And there's no in between. But that's not the that the large the, the majority of the people in this world are living with cancer, living with the the fear that the cancer may come back. Yeah. And that's the reality of what's going on in the world. So the more people like us are sharing our story and telling what what's cancer is really like, the more change can happen, the more research, the more money fundraising, the more people can stay alive. So I think that's just a, a take on American society. hundred percent. And my yeah. next, honestly, one of my next solo podcasts that I'm writing right now is called um, <clears throat> Not Cured, Not Dead. And yeah. that is exactly what you're talking about, which is for, for a lot of people, like I've been living with cancer for six years and I think people are just waiting to be like, well, is he going to die or is he going to get cured? Like there, a lot of us, we just operate in this gray space where it's, you know, you're going through these ups and downs, but, but man, just again, kudos to you for kind of seeing outside that box and being willing to not only talk about your cancer story, but talk about the emotional burden that it brought to you and your family and your loved ones and like the shit that you go through because having real men who are complex men talk about that too makes it so someone like me out there listening to that be like, yeah, that's, that's validating. And like, that's how I feel too. So man, it, it's huge. Well, I appreciate that. And the reason, again, the reason man up to cancer exists is because men tend to isolate more. Yeah. They tend to go through higher rates of anxiety and depression because we are conditioned as boys to be able to deal with any challenge. So Talk about that some more, that the idea of a, in what ways did you feel isolated, perhaps? Um, and and what was that in terms of like the emotional burden on you personally, on Ethan? Well, that was a little bit, I mean, you, you hit it. Um, a guy, you know, is stereotypically over history, you know, supposed to be the tough, the strong, the, the, the survivor, you know, that that's kind of built into the, the male, whatever journey. So to break through that. And, and what's really interesting is that oftentimes the thoughts and the feelings that a cancer patient is having is the same as the caregivers, but if you never talk about it, you'll just never know. Um, and so like I happy, sad, fearful, confused, pissed off, like same with my mom and my brothers. They're all feeling that way. But like, there's this, you got to talk about it. You got to let them know what you're really feeling. Because I think that's the only way you can kind of break through these these issues. Yeah. So I encourage anyone out there to, to talk about your feelings. And if you can't do it with your family, find someone like Immerman Angels is a great organization that offers peer-to-peer -peer cancer support. The Dempsey Center, I'm sure, has peer-to-peer -peer cancer support opportunities. Um, see a shrink, see a support group. First Descents is an outdoor adventure camp for young adult cancer survivors. That was awesome. So to see people that are going through the same thing at the same time as you it was hugely helpful to me. Yeah. But the isolation, I, I was incredibly isolated, both physically and mentally. You know, I was in a relationship at the time that uh, with a woman that was okay, wasn't great. You know, we were supportive of each other. She was there for me, but we just weren't clicking um, and didn't necessarily get, a, get along with my family at the time. So like getting rid of the toxic friends, family issues in your life can be really helpful. Leaning into the people that show up and that are there for you is, is, is very important as well. Exercise got me out of it. Everything. Um, cannabis helped a lot. 
Um, so the, the emotional burden of being a man going through cancer and dealing with all those, emo- I always give the example, like if you imagine you have a beach ball, right? A beach ball, you blow it up full of air. Yeah. You're at the beach, you're playing around, you're out in the ocean and you're, you want to keep this beach ball underwater just because that's fun. And so you can only keep the beach ball underwater for so long before it's going to pop up. And if you look at the beach ball, like that's your emotions and your feelings, and you're trying to keep them down under the water, you're sitting on it, you're throwing an arm over it, there's one leg on it, it's popping up over here. It's just going to pop up in unhealthy ways. That's so great. The, if you got to talk about it, you got to let your feelings out. You got to, you got to let people know how you're really feeling or, or this beach ball of emotions is going to explode at one point And it's just going to be detrimental to your path. Oh man. I love that analogy. Totally stealing that for <laughs> now and for always. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and did you feel like you ha- at times, especially early on, did you feel like you had to be Superman? hundred percent. Yes. And that's, that is exactly what happened. I was, because I made the choice to, to, to tell people about my story and, and make my battle public. I was on a lot of TV shows. I did a thing for people magazine. Uh, I documented my entire journey, the, the highs and the lows when vlogging was a thing, you know, video blogging was just starting. And I was the first person to kind of give the inside look on what it's like to go through cancer. And that was really, I think, I think it was, powerful only because no one saw a young person go through cancer like that before. Absolutely. So that opportunity really felt good for me. Um, and, uh, I kind of forgot what the original question no, was. No, no. Being Superman, like, you oh, know, yes. and then having to live up to it, right? Like, yeah. Oh, what, I should be this. I should be that. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And I went on the CBS early show and I told exactly that I'm going to pause it. I'm going to stay alive. All this stuff. My mom called me. She's like, that's great, Ethan, but you got to tell people what it's really like. And once I changed that and I was giving speeches in, in my private life and my public life were so far apart. Like I was telling everyone one thing and I was really feeling another thing and they could tell people could tell. And it wasn't until I brought them together and my story became more authentic, authentic and I was more yes. real about what I was talking about. That's when I think things changed for me. And that's the word that when I first, you know, had a conversation with you, we did a Zoom call. That was the word, you know, you are, you are that authentic man now, you know, that, that merging has given you superpowers way beyond, I think, where you were. So Thank you. Um, and it's hard to talk. It's hard to talk about. Oh, it. yeah. It's not easy. Especially to do when that. you're going to die, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's hard to come out your feelings just in general. But then all these put cancer on top of that and like the thoughts of death and the the, the how am I going to pick up the pieces of my life after this? I'm like, I'm 35 years old. Like your older adults, you know, your, your seniors or, you know, uh, boomers. You know, you got your health insurance. You got a job. You probably got a wife. You got kids, people around. But when you're a young adult between the ages of 15 and 39, and you survived cancer, you have your whole life to live. Yeah. You have your whole, you gotta think about marriage and finishing school and having a job and health insurance and life insurance and fertility, uh, having a friend group that's gonna stick by you. Like all these things that younger people and older people don't have to think about when they go through cancer, that's exactly what we have to think about as a young adult surviving oh, cancer. Man. And it just adds an extra layer of complexity to the whole thing. Absolutely, it absolutely does. Um... What was rock bottom for your cancer journey? What would what would you describe as you, when you hit rock bottom? Rock bottom was when um, post cancer, post second bout of cancer. I just emerged from my stem cell transplant, my second one. This is two thousand and thirteen. My relationship was imploding. 
Um, I had all these prescribed pills in my pockets and uh, I was just so plagued with fear of relapse and anxiety that I couldn't even leave the house. Like I was so out of my own being. Yeah. Broken. Yeah. I was so broken that I didn't know how I would even be able to live emotionally, live in my own body for another day. And we're going to transition into, into, you know, moving from those synthetics into cannabis. But before that, what, what was the highest, what was the peak then? If that was rock bottom, what was the, the highest mountain in your cancer journey? Oh, man. Highest mountain in my cancer journey was being presented with the opportunity to join a clinical trial for a new drug that was emerging on the market. Um, that was specifically made for people who had failed an autologous stem cell transplant and we're going into their um, uh, allogeneic stem cell. Autologous stem cell transplants when you use your body's own cells to heal yourself. Allogeneic stem cell transplant is when you use a donor's stem cells to save you. So like I was in this in-between phase and I just needed to get the cancer into remission so it could go on to get my second stem cell transplant. But that was a that was a big mystery. So there was this new drug out there. It didn't even have a name yet. It was called SGN35, created by Seattle Genetics. So my doctor's like, we're having really, really good results. I was, you know, so I I did it on a whim. Like there's no long-term data. The longest anyone had ever been on this is a year. And that was one or two people. And now I'm in the first cohort of I think less than a hundred people to try this drug. Um, and so I tried the drug and um it felt really great. It was it was a, a smart targeted therapy. I was able to run the New York City Marathon while on chemotherapy <laughs> um, in 2012. And oh, so that was really wow. exciting. Yeah. Because uh, this drug was the first form of immunotherapy back in the day, smart targeted therapy. So you didn't feel the way you would feel if you were on traditional chemo. I looked good. I felt okay. I didn't lose my hair. I had an appetite. I was sleeping, um, but I just still knew it was war of the worlds inside my body. But that was probably the height of my cancer. Awesome, man. Um, so now, yeah, let's get into cannabis. I and just as an intro for myself, um, I got introduced really to cannabis in 2018 during my first chemo, uh, my first introduction to chemo, uh, pretty heavy hitting chemo. It was in 86 um, you know, when you were in uh, junior in high school. Well, there, you know, yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd smoked weed like out of an apple core, you know, out of an apple right. when I was in junior high and like, you know, a couple of times in college, but I wasn't a user, I really wasn't yeah. a user of cannabis. Of course. Um, and then <clears throat> they were the same with you. They, I was getting a pill for everything. I, I was, uh, you know, they, the four different types of synthetic medications to try to make my appetite. My biggest enemy was nausea. So mm-hmm. nausea on chemo for me has been a huge problem. And I'm sitting there staring at food, just being like, I can't. Um, and I'm throwing up and everything else and I'm trying all these medications and none of them are working. And finally, someone's like, try this strain. Um, it was a uh, purple punch on, nice. on a vape cartridge. Yeah. Um, and I tried the vape and then I'm like, I want two eggs and a piece of toast. And it was like, <laughs> awesome. it was like the first time that I could like get any sense of hunger and get yeah. that nausea at bay. And like, and then if I was vomiting or whatever, I would use it and it would be gone. Like, like just gone for, for at least the time being. So, and that's when I became, you know, a, an advocate for, for, uh, medical marijuana uh, cannabis and, and continue to this day. Um, and, and, you know, 
we don't have to we'll probably do a whole nother show on legality because there are hundreds of guys in man up to cancer who don't have access legally Ugh. to cannabis as you know so yeah. i'm turning it over to you tell us um you know i know this is a long story but sum up your <laughs> you know your use and your advocacy um, sure. with medical cannabis a similar path as you uh never touched the stuff growing up i was you know considered myself an athlete. Uh, I was playing soccer in college and lacrosse in college, never touched the stuff. I mean, I tried it second semester of my senior year, just to do something <laughs> crazy before I graduated. Oh my God. I did not um, inhale. All right. <laughs> um, so I did, you know, smoke weed, probably I'd say twice and, and continued playing soccer my whole life. Um, and it wasn't until I got diagnosed with cancer that someone let me know about cannabis. I mean, I'd known about cannabis. I knew it had therapeutic properties, especially for people with cancer. So when I was doing these height of the opioid crisis in 2009 to 2011, I didn't want to get hooked on drugs. And so I literally was just looking for alternative ways to make myself feel better. That's it. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I was taking all those pills. So uh, when I told my doctor that I wanted to use cannabis, he was like, uh, okay. He's like, just don't smoke it. That's it. There wasn't one trained oncologist, nurse, nurse practitioner at at my hospital that could educate me on how to use cannabis, what strains to use, when to use it, what's the dose, don't mix it with this medicine, take it this time, that time, all that stuff. So this was um, 2009 now. So I was forced and the cannabis was not legal back then, medically legal. So I was forced to hit the streets. I was literally talking to a drug dealer with a mask and gloves on bald with chemo and he was selling coke and ecstasy and opioids and heroin and and weed so to do an illegal activity on top of something like cancer was a horrible experience for myself oh my God. uh that i don't want anyone that has cancer to have to go through luckily we're now in a time where 34 states are medically legal um but the issue here is what i'm finding so anyway I started using cannabis. I did not smoke it. I still don't smoke it. I was using it as an edible, meaning I'd cook it and make it into a, a form of food you could digest. And that's kind of where I started with cannabis. And it helped me significantly. It helped me reduce the dosage of some of the meds I want. I could eliminate others completely. I was a lot nicer to be around everyone. You know, I was more communicative. I was a little more lively. I was eating. I was sleeping. Yeah. Um, and so all those things you can imagine. Listen, chemotherapy, radiation, transplants, that saved my life. 100% saved my life. But cannabis made that all so much easier. Um and or like what I made, like that stuff cured the cancer, right? Cannabis doesn't cure cancer. Cannabis helps you with the side effects of all the treatment that you're on. Right. So right. The, the, the treatments cured me. Cannabis saved my life. Um, and so that's kind of why I got into advocating for the benefits of medical cannabis use. And what I'm seeing now in the industry, which is really interesting, is that in another six to 12 months, the government's going to reclassify cannabis from a class one to a class three scheduled drug, which means it's getting away from the Coke, the heroin, XC, and now it's going to be more like Tylenol with codeine, um, you know, I don't know, you know, losing your hair pills, all that stuff. So it's yep. basically yep. legalized. And it's just going to open up even more opportunities for cancer patients, athletes, anyone with disease that wants to use medical cannabis to help solve a problem in their life. And uh, But the issue is I don't think there's enough trained 
doctors out there that are educated on uh, cannabis, especially cannabis and cancer. And I have some stats for you. Uh, 40%, 40% of cancer patients use cannabis, 25% of cancer patients would like to use cannabis, but don't know how. And get this, 70%, 70% of oncologists do not feel comfortable talking about cannabis with their patients because they're not educated enough. So there's a huge gap right now, which leads it up to the patient to go to a dispensary, that's not a hospital, talk to a bud tender, that's not a doctor, and they're prescribing you a medicine, which for me is insane. That can't happen. You need a doctor of cannabis or an oncologist of cannabis to tell me what to use. And so that's a, a real pain point in the industry. And uh, there's some great companies out there that are trying to fill that void. One of them is called EO Care. They provide personalized physician-guided medical cannabis care for cancer patients. So if anyone's interested in learning about cannabis and how to use it, when to use it, what drugs to not use it with and with to use it with, check out eo.care and um, sign on and they we will provide a care plan for you. And um, then we'll prompt you throughout the journey on how did that make you feel? Was that too strong? Was that too weak? Do you need to be um, in, can you be intoxicated this time? Can you be not intoxicated? You got to drop the kids off. Are you going to work today? What time of the day? When do you got to go to treatment? So we take into all those things that are going on in your life and what meds you're already on. And we'll create a plan for you. And then we'll help you pick the products that are best for you. And we'll get them delivered to your door. Or you can go to a local dispensary and pick them up. So I'm going to already invite you back uh, for a full show uh, on cannabis advocacy, oh, legality, um, where we're at, because today is just kind of intro to Ethan. Um, but <laughs> I can I can definitely see us partnering in lots of ways down the road. Um, so for today, we're going to leave it at that, except for, you know, for, for our listeners, you know, most of our listeners are guys going through cancer or their caregivers or people who yep. love them. Um, going to eo.care is one way to start, but yeah, what's just your general recommendation on, on just how, cause I think you're right. Like so many people in our community are interested, but there's no protocols. There's no, they don't know where to start. So Correct. besides uh, EO, like, is there a general recommendation on, on how to take those first steps to just learning about it? Yeah. Um, I think obviously the internet is, is fairly a good place, uh, to learn about cannabis, um, I hired a um, resident nurse named Janibus Cannabis back in the day, and she just told me a lot about cannabis. I'm not saying you have to do that. Uh, but, you know, the general rule in cannabis is go low and slow. If you've never used cannabis before in your life, you start at a low dose um, and then see how that makes you feel and then kind of work your way into um a situation that makes you feel better. And I want to let everyone know cannabis is not the same today as it was way back in the day. Um, it's a lot more powerful these days and there's lots of different ways to take it. Meaning you don't just smoke a joint anymore. There right. are tinctures, which you put under your tongue. There are inhalers, there are capsules, there are bombs you rub on your body. There are, um, in you know nasal sprays, right? There are so many different ways to actually consume. They're edibles, gummies, yep, cookies, yep, bars, yep. ice creams, drinks. So many different ways to consume cannabis that there is probably a way that makes sense for you. Um, and so I, I highly suggest checking out a dispensary, talk to a bud tender, 
um, tell them what you got going on and hopefully they'll recommend some products for you. The issue is you don't want to try products and not have them work well or spend too much money on shit that doesn't work. So that's why I always advise kind of this trying to get some sort of guidance from some sort of educated person out there. Um, uh, but yeah, there yeah. are Perfect. different ways to get involved. Perfect. And I know that you are uh, running on time here. We are actually, we fit everything in for today, and, oh except for I am, I, we still have time. You're not escaping the gauntlet of random questions. Survivor yeah. edition today. Uh, I'm going to put you through three questions that are diabolical. Yes. Okay. But before that, one more promotion that I want you to, and, and that I want like you to get into is, You've been telling me forever about this freaking crunch bowl. I haven't oh. gotten it yet, but what is the crunch bowl? <laughs> oh, did you mention the crunch bowl? Hold on once. Oh, I might just, I just have one right here. Oh, Hold okay. On. All right. He's getting, Ethan is getting the crunch bowl. Oh yes. This is it. <laughs> Trevor, are you sick and tired of soggy cereal? Well, I'm going to revolutionize the cereal eating experience in one big scoop. I'm going to put the crunch back in brunch. I'm gonna end your situation with flimsy flakes. If you imagine a swimming pool, swimming pool's got a shallow end and a deep end. Same with the crunch bowl. You got your cereal, you keep your cereal in the shallow end, you put your milk in the deep end, and when you want a little crunch, you just tap it right over the edge. So this is the super bowl. Microwave safe, dishwasher safe, non-slip grip, righty, lefty. It's got a spoon rest, it's got a milk chute, it's got a cereal slide, it's stackable. And uh, the best thing about it is with your cell phone, Look, it's a cell phone holder snack bowl as well. So you can just Netflix with yourself and chill, eat some popcorn. And you might just think it's just for cereal, but it's not. It's for all your snacking needs. Chips, dips, salad, dressing, hummus, carrots, ice cream, apple pie, crackers, soup, whatever you want. This crunch bowl is for you. So remember at the top of the show when Ethan was telling us about his being this <laughs> this hustle forever, man. This So you, you <clears throat> this is the next iteration. You yeah. came up with this. I I came up with this in college. It goes always because I was playing soccer. We won the championship. I went out there. We partied hard. I got back to my dorm room. I'm like watching Sports Center with a bowl of cereal because I'm cereal freak. And I fell asleep with a not fell asleep. I passed out with a bowl of cereal on my chest. And when I woke up, my cereal soggy. I'm like, what the? I hate soggy cereal. How can I create a cereal bowl that keeps your cereal crunchy all day long? And then that's when the crunch bowl idea was born. This was 1995. It only took me like 20 years to actually bring it to market. All right. Market. What's the link? The link is um, Amazon. Go to Amazon.com okay. and search for the uh, Crunch Bowl, Cereal Life Crunch Bowl. But you can also get it on mycrunchbowl.com, Amazon. There are plenty of different ways to get it. All right. That. I'm getting one of these damn Crunch Bowls because you've you don't been have telling to get me one. about this forever. I will send you one. I'm lazy on my sending. So <laughs> send me your address again. All right. Deal. You'll get it for the first episode of Survivor, which is on February 28th. You can just crunch on some uh, coconut and some sand and some fish and yeah. some uh, rice. And just imagine that you're Jeff Probst. Um, yes, exactly. So, all right, that's it. And after we get off this call, so we're, we're going into the gauntlet of random questions, which we're going to hit real quick yep. after this. After, and then after your responsibilities for the day, <laughs> email, email me your bullet point, your, your, all your links with all your companies. Okay. And like, cause you, you've got probably a dozen of these things, but I'll put them in the show notes. So if you want to see the, the broad range of, of yeah. Ethan's connections, check out our show notes or check us out on social media. All right. It is time. Gauntlet of random questions. Survivor edition. Question number one. Scarier survivor opponents. Brainiacs or physical beasts? 
Oh, I would say the this in today's game, the Brainiacs, the physical beasts now are looked down upon uh, and they're voted oh. off early. If anyone else is out there that's stronger than me, you got to get them out. Okay. Um, what about in your day? Then? Who were you more scared of? The, the physical beast back then? Um, well, back, no, but back in the day, you tried to keep the strong, got rid of the weak. Now you kind of keep the weak and you get rid of the strong. So. Okay. Number question number two, prime Ethan versus prime Aussie. Who's who oh. wins? I mean, prime Ethan did win. Prime Aussie did not win after three chances of winning. Oh man. Right. <laughs> But I love Ozzy. I think you just got burned, Ozzy. Sorry, <laughs> <Yeah>. buddy. <laughs> uh, Ozzy, I think Ozzy shines underwater and climbing trees, which I don't. I shine more on land, you know. Uh, but uh, he is definitely a competitor. Did you ever play Boston Rob? I don't know your seasons that well. So I played Boston Rob in Survivor All Stars, the first season um, that we played. Oh, okay, two thousand four. Yeah, that's the season where he made it to the end and then proposed to Amber. So he Amber. Didn't lose. Amba. Um, and then I played with him most recently in season 40, um, which he was kind of, I aligned with him and it was kind of a bad move. But um, yeah, Rob, yeah, he had to play five, six times before he won. I only played once and I won. I want to hang out with you in Boston, Rob. Can you we do. make that happen? Like, you let's definitely just hang. hang out with us. Yeah, you definitely want to hang with us. Um, we're fun. All right. Last question. The question that everyone's asking, will we see Ethan on Survivor again? Oh, man. Well, if you saw my most recent season, you'll probably be thinking to yourself, no. And you are right. <laughs> I told, hey, probes, lose my fucking number, dude. I never want to come back to this island again. It was so torturous. Oh, season man. Yeah, yeah, but if they bring back people like, uh, so over 50 survivor, how could you resist <laughs> that call? Come on, man. I would have to think about it. All I would right. have to think about so it. So never I mean, say never. This, never say never. The 26-day game and they give you water. There's, you know, it's really not that hard. <laughs> Just a vacation for Ethan Zahn after everything Just you've gone vacation. through. Oh, man. Great conversation. We we hit our mark. It's just about uh, 11 a.m. Eastern out here on this conversation. So uh, check out Ethan's stuff. Check out our show notes. And uh, yeah, Survivor season 40. 46. Six. Starting up. So exciting. Starting, starting tomorrow on CBS. Uh, Ethan, thanks so much. I definitely want to have you back. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open.